listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about the power of content marketing, how to optimize your approach to it, ways to ensure you're aiding the sales effort and accomplishing your goals. To help us do this, we have with us Vince Kohler, VP of Marketing for SBI, a sales consulting organization and also producer of top tier sales and marketing content, including the SBI podcast and video series. If you have not seen these yet or checked them out or signed up or downloaded the app, highly recommend you guys do that that. Vince, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show today. Hey, appreciate it. Great great to be here. So before we jump in, we like to start with a question to help our audience get to know you a little bit better. If you had the ability to go back in time with all of the things that you've learned and the wisdom you've accumulated and tell your younger marketing self one thing, what would it be and why? If you're a B2B marketer, get into the sales field, go on sales calls, get out there into the field and see everything in the sales motion happen firsthand. I think that's perfect advice. I mean, a lot of times, and, and you know, you've seen it too, I'm sure sales and marketing are never, uh, never completely aligned, right? Or they struggle with that or the marketing calls sales, the dark side sales calls marketing, the dark side. I've worked on both, so I'm not exactly sure which one is darker, <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, I think walking a mile in, in each other's shoes is a great way to uh, get an understanding of what each other's going through and what's going to help each other. So let's talk marketing content. We've all heard that content is king and Gary V added the next, you know, phrase, if content is king, context is God. I'd like to get your perspective on why you feel content marketing is so effective today. You know, when, when done right, you're earning brand preference and you're doing it by, in a real pure way that's helpful, that's satisfying the information needs of your target customer or the prospect. And I mean, the reason why that's so important is, is you, you can attract their attention but unless you're you're understanding what their needs are, then you're just talking at them. Whereas if you're offering up content that answers questions they have, then they're running downhill towards you. <laughs> that brings up an old joke about the bull coming down the hill. I won't do it on the podcast. <laughs> we've all, I think we've all heard that one, but for some reason it just made me think of that. So when you started to put together the SBI content strategy, um, you know, a lot of people are producing content. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of it out there these days. I'm curious what gaps you had identified in the market that you were aiming to fill. So we, we actually were, were an early arrival to content. And we were we started adopting our content strategy um, seven years ago. In fact, um, you know, it was so early we were one of the first sales blogs out there. And the reason why we were doing that is differentiation is is an important component to getting getting noticed in the market. And we saw content as a way to do that. And so the gap was massive, but we had to. Each year, we had to keep iterating because we could be the what what, what it took to be great, you know, seven years ago, completely changed, you know, within eighteen months, and <laughs> and so we had to keep evolving ahead of that. And so, I would say that the biggest gap we saw was most of the content in on the sales and the marketing side was provided by technology vendors, 
and a lot of it was great content and they you know they were trying to produce early stage awareness content but what would happen is it always you know it always led you to a trail of buying their technology and there just wasn't the depth in the content it would it would state the obvious and then when we would look at blog content the blog would do a great job of talking about some you know some need but then it wouldn't go deep enough i mean you would read it and if you were a professional that had five plus years of experience you'd read most blog articles and go yeah i kind of already knew that or yeah that was pretty obvious but the article didn't give me anything I didn't know. And that's what we want. What That's the gap we saw is tons of this one inch deep, you know, just kind of, um, you know, is written by a junior writer that talked to some subject matter expert and they wrote enough to get an article done, but not enough to make a difference. And so we wanted to be that content out there that a professional in the field they start. They would start reading it, and they would recognize, man, this person that wrote this, they under, They've lived in my shoes. They understand, you know, enough depth about this to understand the problems. And we would, we would actually make sure that our content went way beyond the obvious. And we spent two thirds of the time talking about, you know, how, you know, what to look out for, how to make it happen, what to you know, how to put it into action. And that's how we wanted to differentiate. Well, and so seven years ago, there wasn't as much. And now today, do you worry about content overload? You know, it's something we're, we're aware of. And, and so we've, we've been content types. So whether it's audio, video, or text, um, and making sure we have the right length and being mobile and having a mobile app. Um, so we've, We've tried to make sure that we're ahead of the market with with how the consumers want to actually interact with the content. And it has become more difficult to attract viewers because of there's so many sources out there. But what we found is that the old, you know, quality content, if you can get them onto one of your articles, then you keep them. That's what we're that's what we're finding out. And so as long as we have great content then all we have to do is have them experience one or two articles and they sign up for a MySBI account. Excellent. And so when, when you start to think about, I mean, you, you guys have an amazing depth, right? You mentioned that earlier, but it, even, even today, considering a lot of the content that I consume, SBI has a depth of content and, and a, and a, a realness to it, an authenticity to it. Uh, like you said, because a lot of you guys have, have walked in these shoes and done that. Um, I'm kind of curious how you go about determining topics for your content and ensuring that it'll resonate in this more crowded space today and continue to keep all of those, you know, eyeballs that you've attracted over the last seven years. You know, it really comes down to the discipline of not jumping, jumping to the finish line and doing the right level of buyer research. So buyer segmentation, this is the, the process of making sure we understand how buyers make purchase decisions and in how you win over the competition or how, how you make sure that they choose you instead of the competition. When you understand that, it gives you all of the tools you need um, to do to come up with great Topics. So, for example, if you have a, if one of our 
main buyers is a CEO. And so we have a persona for the CEO and we know exactly, you know, what their objectives are. We know what their obstacles are, know what their primary metrics are. And, and so any of those obstacles, you can unpack any one of those and write an article about that and it's going to turn their head. So that CEO is going to read that article. They're going to under, try to understand what we're, what we're recommending. Um, and their call to action a lot of times is to forward it to their sales lead or to forward it some, somewhere inside the company. And, and so if we, when we're developing our topics, we look at the persona, we look at the trigger events, and we look at the timing of what's important. So, for example, right now, um, it's November 28th. This will probably air sometime in, in December, early January. And SKO, sales kickoff, coming up for most companies. And so we are currently writing articles on you know, how to get the most out of your sales kickoff. Um, a couple months ago, it was about how to plan your sales kickoff. Um, in January, February, there's going to be a lot of articles on on how to not let you, know, you put a lot of money into a sales kickoff. How are you going to reinforce that? How are you going to make sure your sales kickoff is not a flash in the pan? <laughs> if, you know, most um, most sales kickoffs are a flash in the pan, and everyone forgets it a quarter later. So, you know, February first, if there's a article that comes out that's titled, you know, how to make sure your sales kickoff wasn't a flash in the pan, that will get read. And that will generate leads for us. Excellent. And so you've mentioned, you know, text, video, all that. Let's talk about kind of the current SBI stack. Can you run us through all the channels that you're currently using? Sure. So we we start at the at the very top of the. We actually consider one to one personal events in our our executive briefing center to be at the very top of our content stack. And you may be thinking, well, why, what do you mean? Why are you considering that content? Well, we, we created our own set of rules because we know that looking at buyers' needs, they want best practices customized for them. And so at the very top pyramid of our, of our content stack is an executive briefing center where they can come in, no charge, um, as long as they pay their own way to get there. In Dallas, Texas, they can have personalized best practices presented to them and have a working session um, to understand, to solve a problem, to figure out what their revenue growth plan can be. And and we do that because if we found that if, if companies get to know us, they want to do business with us or they tell somebody else. And so, so we offer that. That's at the top of the stack. And then from there, the next higher, highest engagement from a content perspective is they get to be part of making the content. So they get to come into our studio at the Executive Briefing Center and record a podcast, record a video and audio podcast, and they are the expert. And we did that because our buyers told us, hey, we love hearing from you guys. You guys are consultants. I would much rather hear from a peer sales leader talk about a topic than to have you talk about it. And so we listen to that. So we bring in a lot of um, sales leaders, marketing leaders, CEOs to really explain a year, you know, a transformation they went through their first 90 days as a new CMO. Um, they come into the studio and they participate in bring, being part of the content. The next piece is where we start to roll it out. And that's our, our video, audio, and text, our blog content. 
So we, we push it out in those different formats because different personas have different preferences for how they want to consume the content. And so we push that out and each of the, we push it out via email. We of course optimize it and, um, and promote it in social channels. But ultimately we, we try to give the, each of the, of our prospects and customers their preference for what type of content they want to, they want to consume. And finally, the final piece of our content is a printed magazine. And so this is something that we print quarterly. And what we found is buyers, C-levels in particular, they love to have something to put in their bag to read on a flight. <laughs> so they're and not so, reading Sky Mall. No, no. <laughs> read SBI magazine. And so that that's a piece that um, we, we, we think quarterly frequency may be a little too much. So we're, we're pulling back to two times a year. And, um, and we, that, that piece of the content is probably the most visible and the most commented on by our, by our readers. Okay. Excellent. And that magazine, if anybody hasn't seen it, that magazine is, is amazingly well done. Uh, if, if you haven't seen it, I suggest you guys track down a copy of that. Um, when you think about kind of the technology trends that we're seeing today, everybody's talking about AI, for example, right? And I'm not 100% sure where it's all going to shake out other than um, I think we're seeing in some cases uh, people relying on technology to do their, their own content curation for them, for themselves. So they don't get that joy of discovery uh, that, that I love. And it's why I'm constantly out there looking for new sources. Um, is, is that something you guys are concerned about or something, you know, in terms of new technologies that you plan on leveraging as you think about your content strategy moving forward? No, we, we actually love that part of it. We, we love the Darwinian aspect of content marketing. <laughs> and what I mean by that is is those technologies that are out of alignment with the buyer get punished. And those that are in alignment get rewarded. And so, you know, the, 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 the water moves to the lowest point. And so, you know, a great example of that right now is, is YouTube is completely ignoring the B2B channel. And their their algorithm is all set up for finding you know jumping tigers on B two C. You know that YouTube is just a complete disaster when it comes to B two B, and they will be punished for that. Someone some technology will come in and do it better, and all B two B marketers like myself will shift to it, and and it'll happen overnight before they can stop it. And so, so actually the. The fluid nature of, of technology, we love that. Um, we just have to make sure that we're listening. If our early indicator is our buyer, when our buyer says, "Yeah, I stopped," you know, I now listen to my, I watch my videos on. Like a great example, um, you know, when I talk to CEOs now, they hate our videos because when they're on the treadmill, they shut off. If if they if the screen is not viewing, they can't like put it in their pocket. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, wow, you know, that's a use case YouTube is not even thinking about. Someone else will. And that someone else was us. We created our own app where you can run the video without having to look at it at the same time. And, um, and someone else will come out with a better YouTube that's tailored towards B2B. And so, and, and what's the biggest challenge you guys face from a from a content marketing perspective, kind of today? I mean, it sounds like you're keeping your pulse on the you know the shifting technology trends and all of that. What what's the biggest challenge that you guys are wrestling with today? 
You know, the same challenge we've faced the last seven years, and that is, when do you give up on something that doesn't seem to be gaining traction? So if you're trying something new, you know, do you wait? So great example, podcasts. We got in early to podcasts and started doing them. And, you know, it was more effort than it was reward. And, you know, we we almost gave up on it. And we just knew, we just knew that it was a good bet and to keep doing it. And then, out of the blue, completely out of anything we thought would ever happen, uh, the iPhone started to put the the My Podcast app on the on the iPhone right out of the factory, and the podcast views just blew up, just went crazy. And so, you know, the the biggest challenge is always for us is when you're in early. So, for example, we're in really early right now on really high-quality, long-form video. We have 30-minute videos of, of sales leaders, marketing leaders, CEOs talking about major problems. And and our viewership on our videos is, you know, one-fiftieth of our audio podcasts. And so, you know, do is it worth producing the videos when you have so much more adoption by audio? Or is that video going to catch them? And that's the biggest challenge. And so how, so how do you track and attribute ROI across the content marketing strategy, you know, to feed that, that type of decision? Like, I mean, you guys stuck with podcasts and, and it, the bet paid off and you and I've talked before, we both think video is going to be, I mean, there's a lot left. There's a lot of landscape left on the video side, but how do you track each of those channels to attribute ROI? You know, you have to you have to have enough of the marketing engine producing a strong ROI to to put down some bets that are going to pay off later. So, so I think you know not everything is going to produce an ROI, but the I think the key thing is is there's there's two views that you want to capture. The first one is is this basic table stakes, and that's your your marketing contribution, and that's tracking from the content how many sourced leads do we have or influenced leads that are coming into the funnel at the top or that you're influencing throughout the funnel and and track those as they go into the funnel and make sure you're aligned with sales to where they agree that yeah that did come from marketing and it quantifies the the impact of marketing and it tells you exactly what's happening the the deeper level of understanding you want to get into with content marketing is to to make the make the investment in revenue attribution and this is where you can trace each dollar of revenue back to the original marketing or sales activity that sourced the opportunity and and that way you can have a view of all sales and marketing activities that helped influence a revenue booking and those two together give you the the marketing contribution Contribution gives you the what, what's happening. That's basic table takes. The the advanced view that you want is the revenue attribution model that gives you the why, because that tells you where to invest more, and it gives the business a lot of confidence to double their bet. And that, so in some cases, I would assume the ability to do that requires would depend on the tech stack behind all of it, right? the ease with which you can do that. That's correct. In fact, you have to, it's a two-step process. You'd have to put the marketing contribution in place and be really, really good at having a CRM where you're tracking your 
your new opportunities and you're able to to you know source it back to marketing and track that all the way through and then the attribution you've got to be able to every every marketing element every sales activity you have to be able to somehow track that back okay excellent yeah i mean it's a it's an it's an amazingly uh interesting and constantly evolving field in terms of the tech stacks behind all of this that make the attribution possible i've seen multiple configurations and i know last time we talked i asked for for the audience so you know this is the second time thank you skype we've had to do this interview uh because the (laughs) the audio quality wasn't what we wanted so on the other one which you won't hear vince and i went into detail about uh, the tech stack and and as I thought about it more, I've seen so many different types of combinations. Um, and I think it's more important to really understand kind of what your outcome needs to be rather than the tools that you, you know, particularly find work for you. Uh, and that revenue attribution is something that I think a lot of marketing people um, struggle with or get questioned on. So I, I appreciate those those insights. So let's change direction here a little bit. I ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. As a VP of marketing, that makes you, uh, in sales parlance, a target <laughs> or a potential prospect uh, for people that are out there. And I'm curious, when somebody that you don't know reaches out to you um, to say that they have some solution that you should be paying attention to, what captures your attention and builds their credibility? I, I do think about that a lot because the in my case, I, I am a marketer of of sales and marketing consulting services. And so every time I market, I'm demoing my product. And so I think about this a lot. And and so we run a SDR and an LDR program. Um, so we have, we have uh, sellers out there nurturing people. We have to make sure that that nurturing is top notch for them to even pay attention to us, help them more on that side of their business. And so what gets my attention is when it's obvious that it's not a one-to-many message, when it's obvious it was somehow tailored to me, but not in a fake way. Like, I, I get, you know, 20 emails a day that are, like, they look customized, and then when they refer to my co- my company name, it refers to um, LLC at the end of it. And, <laughs> you know, I realize <laughs> it's coming out of a database. But, um, you know, just when they... When they tailored their message enough and a great a great example um there ldr or an sdr from uh inside sales and he had the best message i started talking to him and he truly understood he understood who we sold to who we would try to target he just did his homework and i don't i mean it couldn't have taken him more than five ten minutes but he just he was a thinking human that that applied you know some some form of intelligence that I felt I could spend some time with them and and it might actually benefit me. And so it's just the, the customization and caring enough to, you know, really be relevant. Excellent. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales or marketing professional uh, based on your experience and wisdom, if there's one piece of advice you could give them today that if they embraced it and, and internalized it would make them better tomorrow, what would it be and why? Sales and marketing together need to embrace ABM. And that's been the, that's been the buzzword for the last 18 months, ABM, but it's been driven by the technology 
but really it's it's not about i mean the technology is important to have and it needs to be in place but but the most important aspect is sales and marketing leaders sitting down and figuring out how to replace leads with opportunities because of the the two truly work together because the sales leader he just wants marketing to give him to to give him new logo leads that their sales force wouldn't have got without them. And that's important. I know that's a part of it, but the lower hanging fruit is cross sell upsell within major accounts where marketing through content, through one-to-one events, through, you know, true customer success marketing and you, you can harvest a lot more from the customer base. And, and so sales and marketing need to work together on those core accounts, those key accounts, and and have have a larger portion of the marketing spend go against um, helping sales pull in the largest white space they can. Well, in ABMs, it's one of those you know it's one of those buzzwords and trends that that in order to be effective, from what I've seen, if sales and marketing are not coordinating and they don't understand. Um, you know, what each other is doing, that you have a tendency, what I've seen is clients end up sending mixed messages into an account, right? They're not consistently representing the brand the same way. They're not going after the same personas or they're not interacting with those personas in the same way. And it has a tendency, if not coordinated, to, to create this uh, mixed message. Who is it I'm really trying to talk to? What kind of company am I, you know, working with here? Uh, and create some, some serious challenges. I've seen sales reps especially have to kind of backpedal because they weren't aware of something that marketing was doing um, or a way that they were phrasing something. And so I think that alignment is is extremely critical. Excellent. So Vince, this has been great. If a listener wants to talk to you more about the topics we've touched on today, what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me really is to go, go to our website, salesbenchmarkindex.com and from there, um, any of the any of the contact us forms will lead you back to me, and I think that's the best way to get a taste for some of the content that can help you with your business, as well as to connect. Awesome. Well, Vince, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. It's been great having you on the show. I appreciate it. No, it's been fun. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, and coworkers. Drop us a review on iTunes. Uh, Let us know what you think so we can continue to provide you value with each episode. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.